Teaching to One, a podcast about education, teaching, and learning. No, we don't do that anymore. We have a very quick, concise opening. We just get right to it. We've changed our intro. They know nothing about me. I'm a stranger to them. Wait, we're trying a new intro, and the intro this time is be a complete stranger. You said our intro needed work, so I've updated it. No, I'm just... starting with bullet point one. Listener. How does humor impact the process and results of education? <laughs> Answer. <laughs> this was your idea. It's the very first bullet point. I don't My know intro like... literally says, hi, hello, knock, knock, trip, because you've decided we say too much at the top of the show. So, hi. Hello, listener. Welcome to 16 to 1, a podcast about teaching, education, and learning. I am Katie, that is Chelsea, and here is your required knock-knock joke. Are you ready, Chelsea? I'm ready. Knock-knock. Who's there? A little old lady. A little old lady who? Hey, you can yodel. Oh, wow. (laughs) (laughs) You have the worst sense of humor. That was very... you chose a whole podcast topic about humor well see <laughs> based on response to the last episode it became it became clear that i needed a primer in humor mm-hmm. of sorts you already have a primer in humor it's me yeah it's i true. am the humor but see now i've done my own research and now i understand how humor works <laughs> you just had to read about it yeah to get i just it. had to read some books <laughs> to understand human humor it's fine it's fine. You're definitely not posing as a human I'm from like, a foreign. I'm definitely like I could have auditioned for Third Rock with my. Uh, I mean, just with no acting Third experience Rock. whatsoever. What are you talking yeah, about? Third Rock from the Sun. Oh, that show where they actually are aliens pretending to be humans. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Third Rock from the Sun. Mm-hmm. I. I. It was one of my guilty pleasure TV shows growing up. I am not surprised watch. by that at all. Yeah, because you probably looked at them and there's a mirror. The, the, the other, you were like, "Wow, look at them assimilating." That's the other, so impressive. Yeah, the other character that I found a great deal of uh, of comfort in was the uh, the guy in Men in Black. The, <laughs> the guy, he's like the big, giant, scary alien dude who like crunches into the human body, and he's like, you know what I'm talking about? Mm-hmm. He's like actually a huge bug, but he zips on a human skin suit of a guy that he, he shows so up. So you're saying you turned on your when no. do you do your laundry? When do you when do you wash your, your human skin, skin suit? Part. It's not the wearing skin part that I'm talking about. It's just the oh idea of feeling so uncomfortable in one's own skin that you that might you as well be an alien visitor who has wearing a different skin suit. Eviscerated a human and is now hiding inside of human skin that that's what i feel like sometimes okay walking out um amongst the public um <laughs> in the public you work from home <laughs> yeah there's a reason i try to minimize public contact okay anyway well <laughs> welcome to 16 to 1 this is Podcast. You have been studying for this episode for days, About- and now I understand why. <laughs> you decided that at your age, today's the day I'm going to learn humor. <laughs> it only the- took you 30-some years. Today's the day I open the encyclopedia to the humor page. Okay, here we go. Ready? This is, I'm going to be so much funnier now. I can't wait. 
Half the time when people are laughing at me, you're not laughing. And this tells me everything I need to know about why you weren't laughing. It's because you weren't mature enough in your humor to appreciate me. Wow. How's your human skin suit today? <laughs> Does it zip up from your toes like a Snuggie or? No, it's in the back. Like footies? Oh, you're wearing footies. It's in I the bet. back. It's in the zippers in the back. The zippers in the back. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. It's got one of those, what are those, what are the butt flaps called? Let's just leave it at that. <laughs> let's, let's not go what any further into what that. What are those things called? Do you know the, nope. know the pajamas? Yeah, no. The pajamas that have the I flaps. Know. No. What are, what are they called? I don't know. Butt flaps. No, no, no. The pajamas. What are they called? They have a name. Those kinds of pajamas. Pajamas. No, with the with the butt flaps. Pajamas with butt flaps. Hey Google, what are the pajamas with the flaps? She's in the talking butt? to herself. Oh, if Google shows you. Flapjack pajamas. Trap door pajamas. Trap door. No, there's another name for them. I can't find it. Trap door it doesn't is matter. not a anyway. good word. No. <laughs> <laughs> that feels bad. Trap door pajamas. This is the only episode that has a warning for explicit content, and it's because Chelsea's talking about flapjack, flapjack pajamas, trap door pajamas, flap trap. <laughs> talking about my skin suit. It's fine. And anyway, how apparently you never mind. Yeah, let's get back to this episode. Mm-hmm. We've we've strayed. Nope, this is it. This is the second week of reinventing our intro, and we've strayed quite I... far. I think I'm really glad that it's blown up in your face that we had to change the intro because so far it's only getting worse. I would like the record to <laughs> and show. And your whole goal was that to be better and it somehow run further from what you wanted. I would like the record to show that I did not think that we necessarily had to change the intro. What I was worrying Insert about. Insert clip from we, last episode. No, no, no. We get, yeah. It, what I was saying Ooh. is we get to a certain point of maturity in the pod and you, start to just, and you start to just think, hmm. You know, I've been doing this a while now. I've got some expertise. How can I make this just a little bit better? And if I were thinking about our podcast, mm-hmm. the intro segment, I'd be like, hmm, I love the pointless banter, much as I said last episode, but okay. I'm not sure everyone else does. But we heard from a lot of people who listen regularly that they do enjoy we, some, at least some measure of pointless banter. Did you get someone who said they don't love all of it? No. We only had positive about our feedback. One bad review on Apple Podcasts. No, oh, no, okay. no. The one that you will never live down in your My entire fry. lifetime. Well We both have vocal fry. This is just the feature only of only women have vocal fry. Explain that to me. No, it's just that men have the capacity to uniquely be annoyed by women's vocal fry. I think that's you know What a gift. <sighs> so in an effort to make our intro better, you also decided that now you're going to understand humor. Yeah. This should have been like episode two. Oh. Well, it wasn't. Oh. It was episode two. Dress you don't codes? say. Dress codes. That was the most humorless episode we've ever done, possibly. Probably not. Was it? Dress there codes? was very little humor in Betsy DeVos. <laughs> There's very little humor in Betsy DeVos. Okay, fair. Full stop. <laughs> very little humor in ghouls. All right. Uh, <laughs> There's someone in a skin suit. Anyway. <laughs> Is she one of you? Nope, not Is she from your planet? She's not from my planet. <laughs> but she's one of yours. She's not from my planet. Okay. It's okay. If she wants to come on the pod and confirm that she is, in fact, human. No! Um, okay. All anyway. right. Well, everyone, zip up those skin suits. So, yes. <laughs> zip up your skin suits. Strap in. We're going for a ride. Cover this your week, flapjacks. Cover your flapjacks. <laughs> this week on the pod, we are talking about humor in education and how humor... This is my TED Talk. <laughs> No, that was last week. Sorry. (laughs) I swear to God. 
<laughs> Cassie, if you're listening. See, this is the thing, is that like, I just stare <laughs> at This is a cry for help. I say something I say something that I know is gonna land like Okay. Uh, I don't know. What's the thud? Like I the think... the dullest thud that you could imagine. Okay, I say something that I know is gonna land like zero like percent. Flap cake pajamas hit the floor. Yeah, flap cakes. <laughs> flap cakes. Okay, so I say something that's gonna land zero percent, and I wait for Kate to to look at me like I am the the most moronic so, individual. The problem is though is that a lot of jokes miss just like miss with you. So a lot of jokes aren't jokes with me because I don't have a mm, filter that rearranges just because they don't land jokes. with you doesn't mean it's not humor. You're right, and we'll talk about different types of humor later on and why this might be. All right. Uh-huh. Take it away. That was a good transition. Yeah. Nice job. Yeah, yeah, you're, yeah. You're working on this, well, too. Well, there are some interesting uh, nice. potential pitfalls for using humor in the classroom because different You could people. have a student like Chelsea. You could have one of me. <laughs> you could have... What was that oh, Robin Williams show where he was a alien... What was oh, he called? M- Man- M- Mandy? Mm-hmm. Mindy? Mindy and Mark. Mark and Mindy? That sounds right. Yeah. <laughs> I got there. Mark and Mindy. Mark and Mindy. Ma- Mandy and... <laughs> hey, I got there. I got there. Mark and Mindy. Yes. That's what I was thinking Uh-huh. Of. Okay. That's you. But, oh, man, I wish you were half as funny as Robin Williams. I wish I was half as funny <sighs> as Robin Williams. All right. Anyway... One of my favorite things about starting a new school year, since mm-hmm. it's finally happening, yeah, it's is almost, kind of almost the S word's almost here. Yeah, unfortunately. yeah, the S word mm-hmm. is kind of weeding out the levels of humor mm-hmm. in a classroom. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because, uh, and I'll talk more about this later, but I'm so sarcastic that it's dangerous. Ah, and so the first couple times I'm sarcastic, I'm looking around the room to be like, "Who's reading me?" You know, like Who's one of got those the types dry of wit. And it was one of those things that um, wearing a mask was kind of more fun for me at times oh, because like for covid yeah uh, because uh-huh. i could i could play it a little longer to be like hmm, am i being sarcastic or you am spend I being, a little yeah, more yeah, time yeah. figuring it out but it's always an important part of a back to school right is figuring out where jokes land and where they don't land and also who can read my sarcasm and who cannot Interesting. And because your sarcasm meter and my sarcasm meter are very different. Uh-huh. And so even, like, just in, I mean, in everyday relationships, you have to figure it out, too. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But being someone as sarcastic as I am can be a very dangerous thing, because I get myself in a lot of pickles. Sure. Never meaning to, but because I'm certain that it's the funniest thing I've said in a while, and meanwhile, I'm just getting crickets. I think both you and I, we, we definitely both have drier senses of humor but we do definitely have different takes on that dryness Mm -hmm. i would say yeah i think like if i was to summarize my humor it would be probably a little bit of blanche Devereaux and like (laughs) b arthur somebody watched a lot of golden girls yeah like golden girls meets like lorelei gilmore the Gilmore Girls uh-huh. way of talking. The rapid fire dialogue. Yeah, that's of- very much like one of my best friends and I. Like, that's how we speak to each other. So, yeah, I, I'm very much more like quick for sure. Mm-hmm. So, I don't have a lot of like build up. It's just like little zings. I'm more here and like absent minded professor kind of humor. I think, yeah, you if are. I for had sure. to describe myself. You don't realize how funny you are sometimes, and I'm like losing it, and you have no idea what was funny. And I think that's very funny. I like to not react. As long as I possibly can. Mm-hmm. When I realize it that does make I'm it funnier. causing somebody to yeah. laugh, 
I like to try to maintain a completely unmoved demeanor as long as yeah. possible because like you that. can sometimes make people like just fall into a puddle of hysterical yeah. laughter the longer you wait. That's me. And if you just like stare at them. That speaks to me. So that like also, a, that yeah. is a feature of my, my especially with my close friends. Not mm-hmm. just random people on the street, but with my close friends. It's, mm-hmm. You're definitely that way. I would say that I tend to do that. Yeah. And I don't really have that. I When I start getting somebody to laugh, I just, I can't hold it back like it's my favorite part mm-hmm. so then i lean into it even more but i'm aware of it mm-hmm. you know what I mean? and mm-hmm. like yours is so much more subtle that i think it it just makes you hilarious I tend to, here's where i the difference for us is that you tell a story you get on a roll and there are laughs all along the way i listen to a conversation let other people crack jokes and then at like some extremely opportune minute I will speak very quietly and inject some comment that I will hope that somebody in there finds we'll land. funny. Yeah. yeah. That's just the way mm-hmm. that my brain... Because I don't really want to be, like, the main scene of attention That's either me. in social yeah. scenes. I'm the one telling the story, so, like, for sure. But, I, but I, I'm saying this, like, I'm conscious of doing it, but it's not really something I'm consciously doing well, in the moment. there are also times <laughs> that you're funny and you don't know that you're funny... And I think that's actually what makes somebody funny is it's just like your natural response to things that are hilarious. Because there are definitely times when, and it's clear in a classroom too, where people are just trying to be funny. Mm-hmm. I don't find that funny. Uh-huh. So I think that's, you know, I mean, I obviously wouldn't want to do a podcast with you if I didn't think you were at least like moderately <laughs> funny. But I do think sometimes you're not Why, aware of you. how funny you are. On top of that... I think you're a bit of an airhead sometimes, and that makes you funny. Mm, so. Sure. About some things, things just miss with you, and I love watching your head yeah. try to work through it. Again, being from outer space, you would imagine that there are some just very practical human things that I do not understand every once in a while. It's just like a glitch in the Matrix moment where mm. I've suddenly ceased. Falls off. I suddenly ceased to connect with my fellow humans about some element of our shared reality, and I just blip out for a minute. Okay. That does happen. So... Taking it all the way back. Yeah. You have a note here to talk about classical Greece. Are we going from the aliens to classical oh, Greece? Oh, yeah, yeah, let's just <laughs> Let's just make all the conspiracy theorists really happy. Uh, yeah, so un- unlike the last few pods, I'm going back to our tradition of uh, examining the long... All the way back. And, yeah, the long and storied history of the topic, which really only just involves me saying that the overlap of humor or comedy and then elements of both of those things and education that, that's been around for quite a while so you know we, we got plato and socrates just we got socrates cracking jokes and making fun of people in uh, uh <laughs> what i thought you said plato 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 <laughs> okay so what Play-Doh. are they doing so they're just they invented the greek the philosopher joke? plato <laughs> Uh, the one Did who he wrote the first knock knock joke, Socrates. Yes, he <laughs> told the first knock knock joke. It was about a triangle. Anyway, okay, so all the way back to Plato and Socrates. They, I thought you had a joke. I don't. You don't. Not at all. It wasn't a very well rounded. You got to stop being like I thought you had a joke. I never I have a joke. I know. Unless I just... I've like stopped and prepared it beforehand, okay. I don't have a you're joke. Right. You're right. You're right. I'll stop. Thank you. Okay, carry on. I'm gonna like create an app that just like i can tap my wrist and serve myself a knock knock joke on my watch so that i'd never ill prepared for when you put me on the spot like this i have a whole website called the 101 best knock knock joke for kids Do anyway one more? <laughs> okay i'll stop 
Knock, knock. No. Who's, you say who's there? Who's there? Two. To who? Actually, it's to whom. <laughs> that's a you joke. That's a very English teacher joke. That's an alien joke. Okay. Well, when one doesn't laugh if about I told, something that I one to- would find funny. If I told you that joke, you would look at me like this. Yeah, it would, but it's still a funny joke. <laughs> okay. Okay, so anyway. Yeah, it's been a minute since I... I took us all the way back to the ancients when diving into a topic, but I really only put this here just to mention that using humor as a tool for, for education has been around for quite a while, as as you can imagine. So, sure. you know, Plato, Aristotle, uh, Aristophanes, the clouds, you know, ancient Greek uh, playwrights and poets and things like this. We're, we're very familiar with the idea of, of humor and we're familiar with it in art and in philosophy and just in all kinds of disciplines and we're familiar with it just in our daily lives as a way to connect to people and to build mm-hmm. build communities reach out if you're in education uh, it's a way to welcome students particularly those who might be a little less comfortable in formal academic settings or for whatever reason it's a tool but it's also uh, an enjoyable part of our lives together mm-hmm. so the research landscape around humor and education, because this topic is so broad that yeah. I was just like, I mean, I knew I wanted to talk about it and talk about it with you, but I didn't, I didn't really know where to get started. But as it turns out, a lot of people are thinking and talking about this as a research topic mm-hmm. already. So I'll share this in the show notes. I found this one article that's this research overview. It basically is a giant reference to all this other research about humor and education. But I mm-hmm. found a couple of very interesting things in the research here. I found these two useful categories of humor. And this is a little bit along the lines of what you were just talking mm-hmm. about. Researchers are split yeah. humor. And again, this is specifically in the classroom. A lot of this research was happening in the classroom. So they've split humor into these two categories and they are affiliative and aggressive. Mm-hmm. Now, aggressive sounds bad and mean, but it just means a kind of humor that is somewhat antagonistic. I can be that way. Yeah. Even if it's not necessarily mean, it can oh, no. be like... I don't mean to be mean, but yeah. it comes out that way. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You sort of just think of like... I mean, the, uh, aggressive humor is actually what I think of as most stand-up comedy that we watch. Yeah, these I would agree as well. Aggressive humor is just like kind of in your face making fun of awkward and uncomfortable like pointing things out for the sake of getting a rise out Mm -hmm. of people because we all share discomfort Mm -hmm. essentially (laughs) that's Um, a good that's a really good definition for it actually right affiliative humor does the opposite inside of people where it makes them feel like they're growing bonds with the people around them because of the humor so affiliative Mm -hmm. humor is is often used in educational context as well In, in classrooms teachers are employing affiliative humor when they're you know, getting everyone on the same page. If we're introducing new subjects or new, even new people, like especially early in, in school year, since mm-hmm. we're about to be right there, you yeah. can use humor as a tool to kind of grease the wheels with social, yeah, you know, it's social kind of lubricant. Like my understanding of affiliative humor is kind of like me meeting a new student and they're walking with a student I've already had and being like, oh, you hang out with this one. I don't know about you. Like that kind of thing. Like That's it's aggressive m- humor, actually. Is it? <laughs> that feels more affiliative because it's more just like, well, it could be both. I'm trying maybe. to feel them out. Maybe it could be both. Oh, this because, is hard. Well, okay, so it's affiliative humor in that you're bringing that person into the fold yeah. socially. But it's aggressive humor in that I'm you're poking fun You're poking fun of your little troublemaker here next to you. That's aggressive humor. Uh, now, towards them. Oh, so their experience is different. Yes. Okay. They have different experiences okay, okay, of the okay. same. I was thinking, sense of humor my experience is that but you're right 
That's a good point. Yeah. No. Well, I mean, and again, these are not supposed to be good humor and bad humor either. Right. Just to be it's clear. It's just a difference. In, they yeah. can both be good or they could both be The appeal bad, is different. Maybe. Yes. The appeal gotcha. is different. And okay. the way it's received might be different according to the person you're talking to. Whatever they're bringing to the table might be different. So again, in educational context, often we we use humor to elicit laughter because laughter just helps kids be more comfortable. Mm-hmm. It can build, you know, trust mm-hmm. and friendship and investment in the educational process, all of these kinds of things. I'm sure you and I can remember many times we were driven to laughter in our educational experiences because those moments stand out. You remember mm-hmm. when you just could not stop laughing mm-hmm. because of something some teacher said or some student said in one of your classes. But laughter can really drive learning in that way. I found this one, this is just kind of a side note, but I found this really fun fact in this study. It was uh, comparing college instructors to high, uh, high school teachers and intermediate school teachers and their the instances of humor in their classes. Now, there was a caveat about the research around this. The way, the way that people count something as humor or not is a little mushy around the edges. So the yeah, numbers... I was going to say, that's kind of yeah, a hard thing to like. The numbers collect. here are a little bit squishy, but at least according to some of these studies that were in this thing, these researchers found that college professors made 7.2 humorous attempts this is per whatever, you know, class, per semester, I guess. Mm-hmm. Per semester in a class. College professors made 7.2 humorous attempts compared to 2.8 attempts for high school teachers and 2.33 attempts for middle high school teachers. So, hmm. you know, it's very interesting well, to compare yeah. the humor in a college classroom, classroom to the humor well, in a high school classroom. And the thing is, is like, if you ask my classroom how many humorous attempts I have in a semester, they'd say zero because they're teenagers <laughs> and they would shred me. That's in my head, I would be yeah. like daily five. Yeah. But for them, I'm not funny. No, again. Which makes me much funnier. You're really hitting on something that I think actually a lot of the research has and struggled And middle with. schoolers would be even worse. Right. So I totally get it. No, you're right. And that's what the researchers actually even said that. They're like, well, there's some squishiness around this because how do you count humor as humor? Right. That's not exactly a cut and dry well, thing. And I think if I was a college professor, I mean... Broadly speaking, they have chosen to go to college in a way that my students have not chosen me, right? Um, ah, meaning like we're all in this together instead of this is our contractually obligated time together. Right, like I'm legally required to be at school because yeah. I'm under the age of 18. And they're legally um, required to sit there. And after you're, that... You're legally you, required to sit you, there. You don't have to go to college. You uh-huh. have chosen to go, at least mostly chosen. To so go you to think you think the I think the audience might be a little bit more forgiving. Well, that's interesting. But you <laughs> think you think the voluntary nature of that educational mm. setting makes it more ripe for humor than the compulsory nature of K twelve. I don't know if I'd say that, but I definitely I don't know. It's a good Maybe. question. It's a good question. It is a good question, but also I can think of plenty of professors in college that if you asked me if they had a humorous anything, I would have been like, no. There's a lack of it. There, I've never saw any. <laughs> and I'm sure that's exactly what my teenagers say about me, too. So I, I don't it's think so teenagers... It's so hard because it's like such a personality teenagers thing. Teenagers were probably not the ones doing the measuring in this study, to be fair. But yes, like, I do take your point. I do take your point. <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the teenagers. This were, is some rough data. I don't think they were self-reporting the number. Self-reporting. Of di- Hello, Miss So and So was hilarious. Today. I think that researchers were observing the teachers in this case. But okay, but also, yeah. if I'm being observed, I'm not funny because I'm like, hmm. Uh, yeah, I'm sure that. See, the there are a lot of weaknesses of this. Cause a bias. No, I think uh, it can cause I think a bias. That, I think that those things roughly make sense as far as like the attempts. I mean, <laughs> a lot of my humor is an attempt. I think there's a lot of things that make you... There are a lot of factors of whether or not humor lands. 
So there are times when you laugh at someone just because you like the person and you know they're trying, but it's not actually funny. There's yep. like, you know, there's like situational comedy involved. So. Mm. Well, I, I guess in that sense, what you're saying, producing laughter is not the same thing as practicing Mm-mm. comedy or doing humor. Producing some, laughter is not. Yeah, there are some yeah. professors that they just make me laugh. Sure. So like a humorous attempt is just them like you know, existing, not, whatever. Uh-huh. So it's just, but that's just because of my own personality. Mm hmm. Mm-hmm. So that's my yeah, but then I have teenagers laugh at me and like not in a fun way. Yeah, you know. So <laughs> there's there's no. really no in between. They discuss some of the concerns that you bring up in <laughs> in the study, and it's it, I, I need to go read the full one now that you're talking about this because it does seem it does seem interesting. But anyway, okay. So um, just a little more research here about sort of typing humor. There are these other researchers, let's see here, this one is uh, named Hay, identified three functions of humor among friends, which I thought was interesting mm. in social contexts of schools. So we've got uh, solidarity-based humor, humor to serve psychological needs, and power-based Ooh. humor. Yeah. So solidarity-based humor involves building solidarity among group members to create consensus. Uh, techniques here, sharing personal experiences, highlighting similarities through shared experiences, mm-hmm. clarifying and maintaining boundaries. So I'm sure you do a lot of this kind of thing as yeah. an educator. Um, humor with serving... my coworkers. Yeah, yeah. With your coworkers too, I'm sure. Yep. Humor serving psychological needs used to defend oneself or cope with problems arising in conversation. Mm-hmm. These are teenagers. So, well, you often... Yeah, I mean, I would imagine even teachers have to often employ this kind of stuff when yeah. there's a chance that students are bordering on you know crossing some well, professional boundary uh-huh. or like they're telling you too much about you're exactly right it's like mm, you're about to tell me something that could get everyone into a lot mm-hmm. of trouble so think on this before right. you that's why my first question is do i want to know i am a mandated reporter hello they are also often reminded of that just things to keep in mind and then the last one power-based humor serves to maintain boundaries between in-group and out-group members so this is one kids employ an awful lot mm-hmm. in their day-to-day mm-hmm. teenagers especially just uh power-based humor i would say that a majority of our humor as developing growing you know when we're students in the compulsory system and the majority of my of our humor growing up is probably this kind of humor because there's so much vying mm-hmm. for social standing and so much wrestling with identity and all of this stuff that happens in in for teenagers especially so there's a lot of this kind of humor humor that's used to basically gatekeep uh different communities and and mm-hmm. niches and in and yourself and, yeah it's a protection for well i mean i use humor as a as a defense as mechanism because yeah. mm-hmm. mm-hmm. if i can make fun of myself or if i can you know then i'm gonna be the one to do it because i'd rather do it to myself and have somebody do it about me uh-huh Okay, and then we also talk about, I mean, some of the research about humor talks about generating social influence and credibility with humor, which is something that I definitely see teachers do in the classroom a lot, um, and it's partly what you're talking about. You you generate a kind of influence and goodwill with your students. You build trust with them, yep. and humor is a part of that equation. Uh, it also helps build stronger memories, and this is definitely true. I remember things that I've learned in my schooling because they were attached to some hilarious joke or something. Mm-hmm. And I only remember it because of that. There oh, are yeah. stories that I tell over and over and over again, whether or not they remain 100% true and faithful to the original event. 
a little up for grabs, but what it does is it helps and the memories there. Yeah. Yeah. The humor helps solidify those things just kind of in this own set apart way, I guess I would say. Yeah. And then the last thing there's also just uh, in terms of research about this stuff, if you're interested in these things, there's also a lot of research about the way gender intersects with humor <laughs> in educational contexts, the way that different people interpret even the same comment coming from people of different genders can be very, very interesting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> we as women in the podcasting space can speak to this this sort of thing yeah. uniquely. And I think a, a, a lot of women struggle with social repercussions related to mm -hmm. these dynamics. Can I tell you a funny story relating to that? Yes, the, absolutely. The gender um, concerns. So this was, oh, gosh. These kids that I'm talking about are about to be seniors in college, so it's been a minute. Mm -hmm. Had them as sophomores, and their sophomore year is last period of the day, and one of the girls came up and asked me for a tampon. And I always keep tampons on my desk, right? Always do. And once they ask me, I tell them where they are so they can just come up and grab them. They don't have to ask me. Yeah. So girl, being not shy, but just like not wanting to scream it, right? <laughs> Comes up, gets her tampon, whatever. She goes to leave and grabs her little purse thing and walks out. Well, she comes back and all the boys start, well, why you got your bag? Well, you know, all of this stuff. So I jump in and I'm like, not your business, whatever she's carrying in there, you know, just kind of making sure she knows that I'm not going to let them, whatever. Mm -hmm. Well, thank God for her. But she was just like, I was changing my tampon. What do you want to do about it? And all the boys were just like, uh, okay. Well, you were gone a while, so they're trying to joke with her again. She's like, do you know how much time it takes to handle these things? And they're like, don't you just, like, stick it up there? And so she asked me in front of the whole class, can I teach them how a tampon works? And I was like, let's do this. Because where else are they going <laughs> to learn it? And when I tell you that these boys had no idea what happened with a tampon, I mean, I had one of the boys grab a tampon and put it on the floor, and I thought they were going to shoot it from the floor up. Like, they thought it was like a missile that like that's how it like a bottle rocket yes <laughs> but it was one of those moments that the humor turned back on them tampon bottle Cause, rocket because they were trying to make fun of her for having her period which is the lamest joke of lame jokes mm -hmm. but on top of that they looked so ridiculous because they had no idea how it worked and then when they realized the steps that people with periods have to go through to take care of themselves that class no longer ever was you know Weird about it. Yeah. And it was such a great flip on that humor that normally happens with, like, teenage boys. Also, to be like, they, those boys are going to be better equipped to understand something about more, yes. uh, the people with periods in yes. their lives more than any of the uh, well, adult men that I spend time around, for right. sure. And it was hilarious because later in the year, the, if a girl was in the restroom or something like that, they would be like, should we wait for her? She might be a while. And they never meant that she was pooping. They always meant that, what if she's, like, taking care? Like, it was so funny. But it was one of those like comedic gold moments because they got shut down so hard mm -hmm. and we made it into something like worthwhile. But it was hilarious. And it was only because of the gender discrepancy in that humor. Because, of course, all the boys are like, huh, 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 and all the girls are like, oh, that poor thing. She has her period. You know, like it was great. Is that OK telling the pod? That feels OK. I, I teach know. teenagers. They got to learn this stuff somewhere. It's up to you. I'm fine with it. Okay. So. I brought back one of our favorite things, Masterclass. Uh-huh. And I realized that as I was doing this research, I sounded like an alien trying to be funny. Oh. I, I was like, how to be funny in a classroom. That was basically what I was Googling. Oh. <laughs> or like the types of comedy in a classroom. You, you, yeah. Or how to use humor. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so I found an article. How to be really funny. Right. <laughs> ha, 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 ha. Yes. Lol. Lol. Um, so. Raffle copter. I found. <laughs> 
I found an article from Masterclass. Okay. About incorporating like or something. Yeah. Okay. Incorporating so, humor. Masterclass. We we mentioned a lot on the pod, but if you're just now listening, Masterclass is this uh, video course series taught by well-known people in various fields about a variety of subjects and it's very interesting and uh expensive but worth checking out yeah. so there you go so i just found this article from Masterclass, and it was talking about um the article title was called what incorporating humor does for the person learning uh-huh and so this could be in any type of conversation not just obviously a classroom but even ted talks right like that's one of the biggest learning opportunities for some people and so that's a flashback to last episode as well but the article on Masterclass I knew Chelsea would have a problem with because the video that they were using for evidence was given by Neil deGrasse Tyson. <laughs> and I knew Chelsea would not find that funny. Okay, so what Masterclass has to say about humor. Uh, they say that the main benefit of incorporating humor is that it can potentially help students better retain knowledge. Yeah. Which is exactly what you talked about. Yeah. We remember things that were... That stand out because of the humor associated yeah, with Yeah, I mean, them. it's certainly true for me. Do you have? Do you think this is true among your students? Do you find them paying better attention and redeeming yes. things better when you're using Yeah, humor? and they remember the dumbest stuff because it was what was funny. Yeah. I'm like, really? You don't remember anything else that's on the test, but you remember, you know. I but. remember, yes. I remember little random factoids and bits of information that really kind of don't need to be in my memory no. because they're very easily no. google googleable but i remember them because some weird hilarious thing happened I'm when even i just learned it thinking things about me mm-hmm. that i've said just like passingly and mm-hmm. then like my kids are like oh well you're i'm like why how did you remember that you don't remember when your homework is or anything but okay so it helps us better retain knowledge uh-huh it releases a neurotransmitter called dopamine ah yes and that activates the reward system in our brains. The thing I am always chasing. So when dopamine is released, your long-term memory and your goal-oriented motivations are stimulated, which means you not only have the drive to learn more, but you can hold on to it longer, which is why we remember these things even at our age. Hmm. So this is all happening because dopamine is stimulating and if you can't make your own store-bought's fine (laughs) store-bought dopamine (laughs) um all right give it to me i know approves okay and so another part of it is obviously just that in the case of a classroom this can help you have a more open environment and it can help your classroom management if it's used wisely and i that's that's the careful tricky part of it is walking the line of knowing when and where the humor does and does not fit there definitely are extremes to be taken into account here. There are class clown types who will rely a little bit too much on humor, maybe as a crutch for covering up other issues, either of classroom management or other whatever, just, you know, yeah. problems in classrooms. Humor can, it can be. try to, it, it, I have seen it be used as this attempt at a band-aid, but as with many things, moderation is still key. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So to round out my time as an alien and searching how to be funnier. Yeah. And Googling how to be funny yeah. in classroom. Please. <laughs> Masterclass listed four ways to bring humor into teaching. These are the only ways. Masterclass the- is the only one who has figured this out. They. Neil deGrasse Tyson. Thank you. Oh okay. my God. Don't. Okay. <sighs> okay. So number one, bring content to life is the first thing Masterclass says to do. Bring content this, to life. I know. It sounds so goofy, but like. There are some really fun ways to make it 
come alive for them. Well, this is just stuff that you don't necessarily stop and think about as an educator because it comes naturally. So it does because we have an audience of listeners. They're not all classroom educators. You know, maybe this is a chance to be like, hmm, I remember some of this going on in my own schooling or whatever. So, you know, even though some of this stuff may sound obvious, we don't always have the opportunity to look back on our own classroom practices and be like, yeah, actually, this is working for me. Humor Mm -hmm. can do good in my classroom. So anyway, go ahead. Sorry. That's true. We'll, we'll we'll take it with a grain of uh, salt that it's a little bit corny. Yeah. Okay, so bring content to life. Number bring one. content to life. Number two, content. observe stand up comics. Oh, this is not something I would say is for everybody, but I will say me personally, I love watching stand up. Like one of Chelsea probably thinks I'm so weird, but I will rewatch Eliza Schlesinger's stand up on Netflix over and over and over again. Uh huh. I think Eliza. I think that. <laughs> Go ahead. I think Elijah. <laughs> There's a lot of S's in her name. Sli- I think that Eliza. Schles- Schlesinger? Schles- Schlesinger? Schlesinger? Schlesinger. I think she's really funny. <laughs> but I really like to watch stand up. And actually, we're going to talk about one of our stand up comedians, uh, one of our favorite stand up comedians um, after this portion mm-hmm. of the podcast. Mm-hmm. So keep listening. But. I would also say in this kind of vein is watching things like TED Talks, right? I I think watching stand-up comedians is fine, but I think watching good public speaking is important. And I think that's the point. Yeah. Right? It's all about tone. It's all about delivery. It's all about timing and pace and things like that. Yeah, we made that same point in our our TED Talk episode. We were talking about how just it's actually more pleasant to experience good public speaking than to Mm -hmm. experience terrible public speaking. And it's true of teenagers, too. They get bored with bad presenters no matter where that presenter is you mm-hmm. know it's just that's anyway yeah um right. the third thing from master classes to avoid cruel humor obviously cruel humor is always in cruel humor mm-hmm. and the last one is finding the balance which is exactly what we've also talked about you have to know where it does and doesn't fit and who it will and will not land with mm-hmm. i mean if you're you know something i've kind of had to teach myself as as far as using humor in the classroom is knowing that if it doesn't land it's not the kid's fault it's mine or if I say something that inadvertently, and this is true with people too, it, it's not the person who didn't get its fault. It's mine because I think that things are funny in some way that they are not. Yeah. And Although, so, you know. I do want to just say, as somebody who only knows your classroom from the outside, I, I think you also maybe should consider being just a little bit generous with yourself there and talk about it not in terms of fault necessarily, but just like knowing that with all things that you do, different things are going to work better for different learners. Sure. Like, fault means, like, you've done something yeah, wrong. Yeah, but I've had students get not, I don't know if upset's the word, but, like, I could tell the the way I said something didn't hit, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. And so I don't, I'm not placing all the blame on me, because mm-hmm. I think that a lot of things factor into whether or not something is or is not funny, and maybe it was a bad day and another day would have been hilarious. Uh-huh. But I have to just kind of remind myself that I'm not free of the repercussions of my statements. Yeah, that's a good way of saying it. That's a good way of saying it. You always have to be uh, aware as a classroom educator of the impact that your Mm -hmm. actions are going to have. And you're never going to know which of your kids are paying attention to which of your actions really, 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 really closely. You never know what thing you say or joke you make is going to be the one thing that that kid holds on to for the rest of their life. So, you know, that... (laughs) It's it's something to keep in mind, just the responsibility that educators have mm-hmm. uh, to their students. But but it is also an opportunity to connect deeply with yeah. 
with kids too. Use responsibly, I guess, is the key there. So if you're an alien who's come to Earth and become a teacher, I will link in the show notes. How to be humorous. How to do humor. (laughs) Okay. How to make ha-has. So next, we're going to talk about one of our favorite comedians. Well, yeah. And someone that we consider maybe one of the best media figures who uses humor as a way to educate people. Yeah. When we were talking about this topic, I actually brought up Hannah Gatsby because she's a comedian in Australia. Well, I guess she's Tasmanian, but she's... She's Tasmanian. She's a comedian known for Nanette and Douglas. Those are her two specials on Netflix. And she's also an art historian, among other things. So, <laughs> Which is a- the best combination. Yeah. And being the weird nerds for language that we are, we really like her specials because they tend to be meta reflections on media and language mm-hmm. and humor and and on uh, herself herself and her, her sexuality herself, her identity yeah. a lot is going on in these shows but they're comedy shows that are also commentaries on comedy shows mm-hmm. and she talks a lot about changing her show because she was the butt of her own jokes because it was comfortable to be mm-hmm. the butt of her own jokes, mm-hmm. basically. And she's given many interviews about this, too, so there's I'm not saying anything new here, but basically she, she addressed this and evolved her own comedy over time to think about the ways different kinds, like these different kinds of humor that we're talking about can have impacts, uh, mm-hmm. you know, different impacts on people and on herself. She was, you know, she's thinking about how this show that she does impacts her own sense of well-being, mm-hmm. uh, she gets up there every night and goes about her life and all this stuff. So anyway, very interesting comic. Yeah, I mean, I think what's really cool about what Hannah Gatsby does is she finds a way to weave in all of these things of herself that were once the butt of her jokes. Um, she's autistic and was diagnosed as an adult, mm-hmm. which makes her story really interesting because she talks about kind of the pathways that led her to the place of coming to, well, not only being diagnosed with autism, but living with it and kind of learning how to best use this information to help herself. She's gay. And so that's another factor of her conversations. And that was something that, I mean, I don't want to like, I'm not trying to like speak for her, but the way that she speaks about it, it's obvious that accepting herself was hard. Mm -hmm. And so her humor is quick and witty and she's brilliant, but it's also soul crushing. It came from a place of having to learn how to love herself Mm -hmm. and kind of accepting who she is. And so when you combine those things, there were times when we were watching both Nena and Douglas that I didn't want to laugh, but her delivery and her dryness and just everything about her is just comedy. Mm -hmm. And so you're kind of grappling the whole time with like, oh, I'm uncomfortable and that's her goal, but what do we get from it? Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think the reason I wanted to talk about her and... Not any other comedians. We're not really talking about other comedians by name here because we're not necessarily talking exclusively about comedy or what we, you know, in pop culture think about as comedy. We're not talking about that per se. We're not talking about like sticking a stand-up comedian's kind of humor in a classroom and seeing what works. But Hannah Gadsby in particular um, among comics has done a lot of workshopping of these ideas. Mm -hmm. She, She like as a comic is extremely aware of using humor mm. for social right. impact, I guess I would say. And also the impact of humor on herself when it was about herself. Yeah. Making herself the butt of all of her jokes wasn't making her any better. Social impact and mental health impact. Yeah. 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 So also she weaves in some just really great art history stuff along the way. And it is just 
smart comedy. Uh-huh. Like uh-huh. it is just so yeah, truly hilarious. Absolutely. Outside of the comedy shows, she gives art docent tours as a comic. <laughs> so she does she'll like go to museums and just do walk like walking tours in these places because she's a very knowledgeable art critic, art historian as well. Mm-hmm. So she's a very smart person, obviously. A lot of really interesting stuff to say about comedy, a lot of interesting stuff about overcoming and identity and figuring out how to find her voice amid very difficult times in some cases. So anyway, yeah. a really interesting person worth checking out. I think that watching Hannah Gadsby was healing in some ways. Her voice is maybe one of the most important at this time. And if she could be running the world and if, you know, I just, I couldn't be a bigger fan of Hannah Gatsby is really my story. And I just, I just love her so much. And we've rewatched them and they're, they, like I said, they're kind of hard to watch, but really great I feel pieces. like it's maybe time for a rewatch pretty soon of yeah. Nanette. So that's Hannah Gatsby. Yeah. One thing I wanted to just note really quickly, I linked in our last episode some of my favorite TED Talks and a couple of the ones that I mentioned were Brene Brown and Monica Lewinsky. And as I was writing the notes for this, they stuck out to me as being really effective speakers who use humor and a great advantage of what they're saying. So if you're looking for some great examples of people who, who can use humor, Hannah Gatsby for sure, but both of uh, those TED Talks by Brene Brown and Monica Lewinsky do a really nice job of it too. Huh. Cool. So, yeah. All right. Well, let's just wrap up uh, the topic then by talking a little bit about classroom experiences of humor, very boots on the ground stuff. Yeah. Like, uh, most of this is is feedback that you've had about your own classroom mm-hmm. practices and, you know, stuff that you've collected over the years. But some of this is also obviously more general, too. Yeah. But, yeah, why don't you just take us through? Yeah. I mean, I kind of already worked through a lot uh-huh. of this just in our discussion, but... These are just a few of my favorite. I guess I broke it down to where it works and where it doesn't. Uh There are definitely students that the easiest avenue to reach them is humor Mm -hmm. that are not very accessible otherwise. Mm -hmm. And so I kind of have to keep that in the back of my head. Because sometimes when they're acting out or trying to be a class clown or something, I, I try to remind myself that maybe that's the only way that they know how to display themselves Mm -hmm. or whatever. So I try to think of that. If you know me personally, this is super old news, but if you don't know me and you haven't figured this out, I'm sarcastic in a way, like I said, it gets me in trouble. It's not a good sarcasm all the time. For the people who read it, it's great. I mean, I'm complimenting myself, but I think it's great. But all of that is to say, and it's kind of what we already discussed, just that you have to be aware of the result of humor and comedy Mm -hmm. and how you use it. Mm -hmm. And that even inadvertently, it can, you know separate people that you didn't mean to. And I love sarcasm in my classroom. I think it's the greatest equalizer of my classroom because early in the year when I start laying it on, I look around and I figure out who's reading me and who has no idea that I'm being sarcastic. And that helps inform me of how to treat those kids differently. And I think that's important. And this is just me personally, but I have always been someone my parents will attest to this. Whenever I've like gotten a new friend, I will always... My parents could always tell how much I like somebody by basically my my rating, which was like, oh, they're funny. Your humor rating? Yeah. And so if I was talking about someone, but I never was like, oh, they're funny, my parents were just like, oh, that's just kind of like a random friend in a classroom, not like someone you're going to hang out with. But my parents have always been able to assess my relationships with people based on how funny I've shared that they are. <laughs> And so that's just my own personal meter for people. And because I would say, obviously, my friends are some of the funniest. And Obviously. Not you. Okay. Excuse me. You're wearing a skin me. suit. You don't qualify. You're not even up here. You're a, you're a stranger in a foreign land. 
Okay. Where it doesn't, those that don't figure it out. Okay. And especially when it's sarcasm, it's like, well, duh, don't you get it? And they really don't. Some people just can't read sarcasm. They don't. It's hard, but they don't. It's very infuriating for me because my sarcasm is my strongest quality. (laughs) I've had parents and students say things like I was uh, picking on someone or something like that. That's hard to hear because I consider myself welcoming and I consider myself uh, accessible and things like that. And so it's always hard to hear that something I I had uh, said in good jest or, you know, affects someone mm-hmm. in a way that I didn't mean for it to. Mm-hmm. And so I do have to be careful. I've definitely pushed it too far with some humor. And that's just something that, I mean, that happens in every social interaction. You know, like all of us, If you're, I mean, well, I shouldn't say all of us. If you worship at the the throne of Lexapro like I do, you probably spend a lot of your time thinking back on social interactions saying, oh, that wasn't funny at all. I do that in my classroom. And I, you know, I don't ever mean to, but sometimes it happens. And the other thing that humor can sometimes verge on is mocking. Um, And it can be very divisive. Mm -hmm. And so it's kind of like the, when we talked at the top about the types of humor, Uh aggressive humor is sometimes the funniest humor, but it can also be the one that mocks or separates people or whatever. Yeah. And so you just have to be very careful. I think that's what's so tricky about humor is that it can be the best thing and it can be the most damaging thing. And you walk such a fine line when you're trying to work it in that um, you're kind of always questioning, like, oh, yeah. was that too far? You know. I mean, it's a really tricky social thing to navigate because humor is humor is the thing that ends up sort of defining your entire social network. I, I, yeah. I, don't, I don't mean like in a I don't mean in like a digital way. I mean like when you form tight bonds of association with 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 friends, even later in life. I'd say we do this as adults, especially we we solidify our our sort of groups of friends, our packs. You know, the mm-hmm. pack that we run with. We solidify a lot of that. Uh, as we age and mature based on a shared sense of humor, like mm-hmm. many, I, I would say that almost all of the people I consider close friends right now, part of the reason we are close friends is because we laugh about exactly. the same things. So it can be very difficult. Not It's not a bad thing, but it just, it can be difficult to think about humor and laughter and uh, all of these things and how they intersect with social functioning, particularly mm-hmm. for younger kids. It's just a... Especially teenagers. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. my Lord. I mean, because I can remember, like, I still remember, as much as, as much as humor can be used to, to build memories of things that you want to remember, it can also be used mm-hmm. to build memories of things you don't want to remember. Because I remember people laughing at me yeah. growing up because of some bullying thing, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, it's just our responsibility as educators to make sure that we we realize humor has to be taken seriously, mm-hmm. I guess is the way to say it there. Yeah. But, but it's yeah. also, like I said, it's the best thing. But yeah. It's so dangerous. No, take it seriously <laughs> doesn't mean it's not the best. Yeah, yeah. I, I no, agree I with you. It's, it has real, uh, you know. Yeah, it's powerful. Yeah, it is. It's very powerful. Yeah. Cool. Ah. All right. Shall we move on to fill in the blank? Yeah. Would you like to read last episode's question? I will. All okay. right. This is the thing where uh, this is fill in the blank. It's a sec- it's a little trivia segment on the show where you listeners get to write in. We ask a question every week. So if you have the answer, go ahead and write into us. We love to hear from you. Email us at hello at sixteen two one dot com, all spelled out, and we would love to hear from you. So take it away. All right. Last episode. This famous educationalist gave three TED Talks by the time of his death in 2020, one of which has the most views of any video on TED's website. 
During his life, this famous educator got a start as director of the Arts in School Project, an initiative to develop arts education throughout England and Wales. Following the great success of that and other similar programs, he was knighted, published more than a dozen written works on education, and even served as a senior advisor for education and creativity at the Getty Museum in L.A. Who is this famous educator? And it was Sir Ken Robinson. Yep. Ken Robinson. Which is the first TED Talk of the year that I show my kids. Yeah, that's one of the very first TED Talks I remember seeing. It's about if schools kill creativity or not. It's a really fun conversation. It's the first thing I have my kids write about. I love it. Yeah. Okay, this episode? This one. Okay. Theater historians credit this work as being the first comedy written in English. There's maybe a little bit of debate about that now, but but traditionally speaking, it was... We are rooted in absolute facts here. We're we're very, very serious about facts. The play marks the emergence of English comedy from medieval morality plays, interludes, and farces. What is the name of the play? It's a weird one. It's a weird one. I looked it up and I was like, what even is that? Okay. Okay. And now we get to tell you what we have learned since the last episode. Would you like to go first? I will. Okay, go ahead. I'm refusing the S word. The S word. The inevitable return to school. That's school. That's school. Um, For those of you not aware. So we have just been really deep in a lot of media, I would say, right now. You're binging everything to fit it in before the school year starts is what's Um, happening right now. We spent a few days in Louisville, Kentucky. And had a great time. Very fun city. The Bourbon Trail. I really enjoyed that. I got to tour the Louisville Slugger Bat Factory and things like that. So I would really recommend Louisville for anyone interested in that trip. So some things that we have taken in recently. Yes. We finished the season of For All Mankind. Ah, yeah, we did. Holy cow. Mm -hmm. We watched Lightyear, the newest Disney Pixar film. Oh, it was so cute. I liked it About Buzz Lightyear. It made me cry. It was really good. All Pixar movies tend to make me cry these days. They do that to us. I've reached the ripe old age of um, mid-30s where I cry at Pixar movies. And if you love Toy Story the way that we do, you will recognize so many great lines. So that was really fun. Um, we watched The Captain, which is the ESPN special about Derek Jeter and his time with the New York Yankees. And it was really good storytelling. Great interviews. Just really fun to watch as well. I'm currently listening to Paul Holes' book and his work on catching and finding some of the most insane criminals in, in those cases of our lifetime. Um, if you listen to My Favorite Murder, my One True Love podcast other than this one, obviously, uh, Paul Holes is a staple there. Uh, his book is really, really good. I'm about halfway through that. Uh, what else? I think those are just kind of what I'm doing. I'm just kind of leaning into my audiobooks, and we finished The Wire, and we just started A League of Their Own, which is the story of the women who were playing baseball during the war. And the original movie is my favorite of all time. So when I say all I'm doing is binging and being sad, I mean it. (laughs) So I learned nothing. Okay. I probably have learned a lot. I always do. You know, you just learn and you don't realize it. I mean, you learned how bats are made at the Louisville Slugger Museum. Oh, I did learn how bats are made. That was pretty cool. So that's cool. I learned how bourbon was made. Yeah. Yeah. You know what? I've learned a lot. So get on my level. Okay. I think that's everything. Okay. Really. Well, I've, yeah, so for my, what I learned, AI-generated art, I've talked about it before. This is cool. Using images, artworks, stuff that people have created as data sets to train computers to produce supposed works of art, Mm -hmm. whether or not you want to call them works of art. They are. (laughs) Well. Is that the problem? I don't know. Okay. Uh, so really all i learned oh was your alien brain i my, see it it's yeah coming it's coming out. out it's coming out no really what i learned was that there's a very rich debate over the appropriateness of these 
tools, these algorithms, these machine learning applications. So I, I saw a tweet really is what it was that was arguing that one of these image generators, the way they work is you type in a sentence, you say like, I want a picture of a five-headed dragon and be being slain by a group of heroes in the style of an art deco poster. Mm -hmm. And it gives you this computer-generated so cool. dreamscape at its best attempt at that based on what you've told it to do. So that's the way these things work. They're trained on thousands and thousands and millions of images created by real human artists. And I saw this tweet that was like, well, they're just stealing because it's just like putting all this stuff in a wood chipper and what comes out the other end is supposedly art or people are calling it art. But is that really art or is that really just from. you're just stealing everybody else's work, recombining it into something, and then spitting it out the other end. Now, uh, we talked actually about this with the coding, because remember that Copilot thing, the GitHub thing that I was mm -hmm. telling you about? There's a there's a coding companion for computer programmers that basically helps you generate code on the fly based on artificial intelligence applications. Mm -hmm. Anyway, same thing there. It used training data from real humans who have done real work that go into the training of these things, and people aren't compensated for that work. So basically, the argument there is like, this thing is stealing human art, mm. and it's being sold for commercial applications. Now, I looked at that tweet, and I thought, I get the concern, it makes sense, but also, I'm not really sure I would describe what humans do when they are producing art to be all that different from what machines do. It's just that there's the unknown, the ineffable, the mysterious human factor mm -hmm. that is applied to it somewhere in the consciousness where I take the thousands of images that I've learned about over the years, recombine them and then spit them out into a work of art. The difference yeah. there is that it's just in my mind and I can't tell you how I got the result that I got and that the training algorithm, hypothetically, you could, hmm. you could say something about the inner workings of logic that spit out the image that you see, but, but even those algorithms, there's a bit of mystery as to why you get the results you get, you get sometimes. So anyway, that's interesting. But what I learned is about the, I the go rich way. philosophy around yeah. these things. They're going to continue to be debates that people have in academic spheres around artificial intelligence. But I just thought that was a very fascinating thing to worry about and wonder about. And I'm not, I'm not convinced I know really how to categorize some of this stuff. You know, it's fair. I don't either. As you were talking, I was like, oh, I understand that. And then you started, and I was like, I understand that. Yeah. Like, perspective-wise. Yeah. The other question I had here is, is just like, okay, well, in the case of this AI-generated art, who is the artist? Is it you? the collection of other artists that produced the original artwork that trained the algorithm? Is it the algorithm itself? Is it the human being who wrote the algorithm that spit out the art? Who's the artist? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Maybe the answer is there is no artist. Uh, oh, boy. I mean, maybe we're entering a new area, a new era of copyright where we can't enforce them because there is no such thing as a copyright owner because it was produced by a neural net you okay know? i hope my students aren't listening to this because okay i mean I'm, their essays are gonna be you know just kidding. i i think that approach although it seems wild is not far off um if that's of using like an yeah. ai generated right essay. Like, i mean i'm sure it's already happening but i just mean in what is already of happening half the half of the okay so listeners let me tell you what, when I see articles, when I Google something and I get an article from some random website on the internet, half of the time those things are generated by AI copywriting machines. Mm -hmm. because you, you And you can tell because they read like gobbledygook. There's still a difference between a machine and a human because 
the machine written articles it's just like not this is same. something is not quite right here they're bad they're badly written they're not fact checked they just say things that aren't true but on top of all of that they just sound a little weird mm-hmm. they're they don't quite get speech quite quite no <laughs> anyway well, thank god right what well, <laughs> if they could do as well as us what would we do <laughs> clearly i have a lot of thoughts about this and i can't shut up about it so i'm just uh you know rambling on but that's that's what i've been learning and thinking about this this week Okay, I'm gonna yeah. AI generated art. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Okay. Well, like, who is the artist? That's that. Okay, writer. Like, listeners who are listening to the podcast, write write into us. Tell us who the artist is. Okay. Yeah. Answer that in uh, 500 words, and we'll more. talk to you in. Uh, um, can two I weeks? say one thing before you yeah. turn off this podcast? Sure. Uh, recently shared a post on Facebook and Instagram that uh-huh. got a lot of traction for sharing teachers' lists for returning to uh, the year for their classroom. Clear right? the list. So clear yes. the list. Uh, if you've seen it and you've interacted with it and I did not share your information, please feel free to email us at hello at 16 to 1 and I will share on our Facebook and Instagram pages. I hope we were able to get some traction to um, get you the supplies that you need. Uh, I hope that those lists are still active because I can't imagine um, if it hasn't been purchased, you don't need it for some reason. So feel free to share those with us. Um, but it was fun to, I got to interact with a lot of teachers and it was kind of neat to see. So I yeah, was, I was it's happy good to hear to from you all. But if you, uh, you know, have the means or whatever and you can, if you even just search hashtag clear the list on any social media network, I'm sure you will find plenty of teachers who are very deserving of supporting their classroom. Okay, I hope everyone has their hand sanitizer. I hope your allergies are not acting up. Got your new shoes. I'm sure my my back to school sickness is like two weeks out from now. So, you know, here we go. One more year. Good luck. Let's go into the school year uh, with with a smile, with no, some humor. Let's not, no, with some humor. Yeah, I'm some not humor. Smile. Let's let's bring some humor to the new year. We'll see you next time. All right, see you in two weeks. Goodbye. Sixteen to one. We're trying to grow our audience, so please check us out at sixteen to one dot com, all spelled out, and tell your friends about the show. On our website, you can find links to follow us on social media, an archive of all our old episodes, and a contact form where you can get in touch. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next show. Um, over time. Nope. <laughs> <laughs> nope. What? Where was I going with that? Over time? I don't Since the creation of time? Since the dawn of time, people have giggled. <laughs> I hope you joke on that's right. <laughs>